So I just want to make one, uh, one quick announcement. Uh, Wednesday uh, is the beginning of Lent, the season of Lent, and uh, so Ash Wednesday is that day, and we'll be gathering for an Ash Wednesday service Wednesday evening at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Um, if this service is unfamiliar to you, uh, it is a time of uh, singing, a time of contemplation, a time of reflection, uh, a time to uh, remember um, who we are, and uh, what God has done for us in Christ. And so we, we hope you'll come and be a part of this service as we begin uh, the season of Lent that then leads us into uh, the celebration of Easter. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. By grace alone, somehow I stand. Where sin once made me fear to tread. Invited by redeeming love. Before the throne of God above. He pulls me close with nails. Condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is
we are invited to come boldly to the throne of God. And this morning, as we spend some time praying together, if, if you'd like to come and offer your prayers at the altar rail, I invite you to please come and join me. Father, it is an awesome thing to contemplate who you are and who we are and to hear your invitation to come boldly before your throne, to come to you to pour out our hearts and and the burdens and the joys, words of gratitude and thanksgiving, words of fear and anxiety, and know that you welcome all of our prayers and you hear and you are at work bringing the answers that you alone know are best for us. So Father, we come before you today giving thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for your grace, your faithfulness to each of us. Father, we thank you for your grace and setting us free from our sin, cleansing us, from the burden of sin. Thank you for your grace in the struggles and the difficulties of our lives. We thank you for giving your comforting grace to all who grieve today. We thank you for supplying healing grace for all who are ill and in pain. And we think especially today of Kathy Brewer and Storer Emmett, Ken Stometz, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buker, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bevrett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are in our hearts and our minds today. Father, we, we thank you for being present in the ministries of this church and the ministries of churches around us. And especially today, we we pray for your grace upon Trinity Lutheran Church in Wellsville and Pastor Morris. May may this congregation of believers be, be hope and light in the community of Wellsville and beyond. Father, we thank you for your grace in the situations of our world. We thank you for what you are doing, and we pray that you will continue to to do it as you work in the lives of refugees, as you work with those struggling with recent disasters and recent violence. We thank you for for your goodness and your faithfulness in the work of healing and uniting our nation in you. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to be catalysts for healing and for grace, for mercy, for your presence. Father, we thank you for your compassionate grace upon John and Tricia Frazier and the ministries they work with in Hungary. We pray that you will bless them as they teach, as they seek your wisdom uh, for an open door about their children and schooling and the importance of that. We pray that you would bless their lives and their ministry. Father, we thank you for your sustaining grace upon our brothers and sisters who face more opposition and persecution than we can imagine. We pray especially for the Christians in Central Africa Republic. Churches destroyed and and pastors who have been attacked and and even have lost their lives and, and Christians who have been driven from their homes. Father, it grieves us to see this. And yet, Father, we believe that you are at work. We pray that you will protect them. We pray that you will give them such grace that they will actually bear witness to you in the midst of the opposition and the persecution. Father, we thank you for your daily grace. Open our eyes to it. And we pray that you will make us more and more grateful 
for who you are and all that you are doing. And Father, we pray that, that as we see you and as we give thanks to you, as you fill our hearts with gratitude, may people see that we are the most grateful people in the world. Not because we are good, but because you are. We pray this, Father, through Christ, who in grace goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people, and who teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Reminder, children ages 2 to 5 after scripture reading can be dismissed to the children's church. There will be no junior church today because of the communion service. Our scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. We begin at verse, chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord.
In every religion that I'm aware of, there is, there is a discussion, there is a thought, there is a, a mindset that some people are in and some people are out. And um, there are different ways of describing that. There are different ways of figuring out that. But in every gathering, in every religion, in everything that we, that we think about in terms of, of uh, spirituality, I think there is some sense of some people are in and some people are out. And, and, and we all, at some point or another, wrestle with that. Who's in, who's out. And in terms of, of Christianity, who's a part of the kingdom, who's not a part of the kingdom. And, and it becomes something that people discuss, people argue about, people fight about. It, it's probably one of the things that has, has been, has divided the church through the centuries of not just who's in and who's out, but how do you determine who's in and who's out? And I find it fascinating that as Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he enters into this discussion. In one sense, he's been talking about that all the time. But as he gets to the end, he becomes much more focused and and talks about who's in and who's out. He uses uh, three examples of how we determine or how you can figure out, how you can know who's in and who's out. He talks about gates and subsequent to that, uh, roads. He talks about prophets and he talks about foundations. And each one of these things is really describing the same kind of idea. That there are people who are in and people who are out. And all three of them are really saying the same thing, just doing it in a little different way. And Jesus answers the question, who's in and who's out? And he says, you know, the, the, the gate is narrow, the, the path is straight. And there is a destination to that. And he says there are false prophets. And by implication, there are true prophets. And he says there are solid foundations. And there are foundations that crumble. And the difference, he says, is what he really says in verses 16 to 20, where he talks about false prophets. And he's saying, how do you know if someone's in or out? It's by the fruit of their life. How do they act? What do they do? What kinds of things come out of them? Because he says, you cannot, you cannot bear good fruit if you have a bad tree. And you can't bear bad fruit if you have a good tree. What's in us comes out of us. And you know the people are in or out based on not what they say, 
but what they do, how they act. I think Jesus, he also is basically saying the same thing when you get to verses 24 and 26. And he talks about people who hear and then subsequently follow Jesus, obey Jesus. Everybody hears. Everyone has a chance to hear. He's not talking about people who haven't had a chance to hear. He's saying people who hear then make a choice. Are they going to obey Jesus, follow Jesus or not? And that's how you know. And, when, and you know that they have followed Jesus. You know that they have obeyed Jesus by what they do, by the fruit that comes out of their lives. And I think if Jesus were to summarize that, if we were to say, take that, I think Jesus is simply saying, everything I've been telling you up to this point in the sermon, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to obey So you go all the way back to the Beatitudes that I'm convinced are are not just the the beginning of the sermon. They are are a summary of the whole sermon. Everything else is just sort sort of putting flesh on what he says in the Beatitudes. And you could even say everything else in Jesus' life is putting flesh on the Beatitudes. So people who are in, people who are on the right road, people who are walking through the right gate people who are true prophets, people who are building on the solid foundation are people who embrace what Jesus is saying here about the kingdom. These are people who are poor in spirit as opposed to trying to be great in the world. These are people who mourn the the, the pain and the sin of the world instead of ignoring it. These are people who are humble instead of being arrogant. These are people who when, when hurt, Choose mercy instead of vengeance. These are people who choose to be peacemakers instead of people who keep stirring up the pot. These are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, instead of hungering and thirsting to get what everything that you can. These are people who are willing to be persecuted for the gospel when it's unjust. These are people who know Jesus, who want to live like Jesus, who embrace this understanding of the kingdom. When he talks about false prophets, he's talking about people who refuse to do that. These are people who are teaching things other than what Jesus is saying. Yes, they follow all the law. They follow the letter of the law to a T, but they don't embrace the intent of the law, the spirit of the law. They're just simply creating a checklist of rules. And as long as we follow the rules, we're good. And as Jesus has said throughout this sermon, no, that's not what it means to be good. What it means to be good is to think more about others than you think about yourself. It means means that you, you mourn with people who mourn and you weep with people who weep and you laugh with people who laugh. That you want for people what Jesus wants for people. And people who are in the kingdom, these people who are walking the narrow road and go through the narrow gate and are building on the solid foundation and are following the true prophet, Jesus. These are people who are saying, I want the kingdom to be exactly as Jesus describes it. I don't just say, well, that's great for Jesus, but I want it to be true for me too. Maybe that's why it's a a narrow gate. Because it's a life of selflessness and self-sacrifice and self-giving. It's a life that, that as Jesus says in Matthew 22, in which our whole life is committed to loving God with every part of our being and loving others as ourselves. And what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that when we say we love God, it means we love other people. John tells us in his first letter that if you say you love God and you don't love people, then the truth is you don't really love God. And that's the fruit of our lives. That's the fruit. That's the action that comes out of us, that we truly love other people, that we are embracing this mindset of the kingdom in such a way that it affects how we live. It's not just what we think, but it's what we do. It's how we live. 
think one of the most frightening passages of Scripture is what Jesus says in verses 21, 22, and 23. He says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. And I will tell them I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That's a frightening thing to hear Jesus say. These are people who are doing all the things that we typically say are signs of spirituality, right? I mean, they're prophesying in his name. They're they're sharing great words about God. They are casting out demons in his name. They are doing great miracles in his name. They seem to be doing all the right things. And yet Jesus says, no, I never knew you. Because they're not truly obedient. Their heart isn't really in it. Their heart isn't really connected to Jesus. When this word that Jesus says here, I never knew you, the word knew, it, it, it's, it's the same word. It means, it means to be connected. It means, it means to be close. It means to have a relationship. It, means to, it talks about intimacy. In fact, in the, in the Septuagint, in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it is used to describe sexual relations. And so in the old King James, it said, Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant. It is that kind of intimacy between people. And Jesus is saying, you didn't know me like that. You didn't have that kind of intimacy with me. I think what surprises me here is that I would expect Jesus to say, you didn't know me. But he says, I didn't know you. It, it, it seems backwards to me. It feels like the whole point is we didn't know him, but, but he says, no, I didn't know you. And I've been trying to ponder what exactly that means. And the, the closest thing I can come up with is that it, it's how we may feel about people who may have some level of fame that we've had a, some connection to. Uh, when I was when I was young and and I grew up in uh, Evansville, Indiana, and and there you know I played little league and and the most famous person that came out of our little league that I played against was Don Mattingly, who was for like 13 years the first baseman of the New York Yankees, and he's now the manager of the floor of the Miami Marlins, and uh, he was on a different team than me. He's a year younger than me, but for three years we played little league against each other. And if you were to say, do you know Don Mattingly? I'd say, well, you know, kind of. I mean, you know, we have this thing that goes back almost 40 years. But, you know. Uh, but if you were to ask him if he knows me, I'm pretty sure he'd say no. I've never been invited by him to, to take a tour of the clubhouse or hang out with the players. I've never been invited to his home. He's never asked me out for dinner. You know, we have absolutely no relationship other than me having some kind of, you know, shoestring connection to him from when I was a young person. And that's really it. We don't have any relationship. Do I know who he is? Of course. But it's not a mutual kind of thing. Because I've, I've never, we never pursued a relationship. We've never had any kind of closeness. I've never had conversations. And there is something about that kind of mindset, about Jesus saying, I didn't know you. We have no relationship. We have no connection. And it's not as though he doesn't want that with us. It's not as though he doesn't do everything in his power to have that with us. But we're just concerned about other things. We're not really concerned about Jesus. We're concerned about doing things. That might make us look pretty special. And as wonderful as those things are. And as helpful as those things are. And as necessary as those things are. They mean nothing without intimacy with Jesus. Without embracing the kingdom as Jesus describes it. A life of selflessness and self-giving. And love and compassion and grace and mercy. 
thinking about others more than ourselves because we are thinking more about God than ourselves. I think this comes, brings us back to the spiritual disciplines. Prayer, reading of Scripture, worship, giving of our, our resources, serving one another, silence, solitude, fasting, all of these spiritual disciplines. They are vital to developing this kind of relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you want to learn something, you give yourself to do it. If you want to learn how to play the piano, then you give your time and your energy and even your money to make that a reality. If it is important to you, you do it. And you sacrifice for it. If you want to be, uh, uh, if you want to learn science, then you give yourself to that. And, and, you, and you give your time and your energy and even your money to learn how to be a, a scientist. You want to learn English grammar. You give your time and your energy and probably your money to learn English grammar. We do whatever we need to do to do it. And so sometimes I think we practice the spiritual disciplines without really being passionate about them. And it's back to the checklist. You know, I did this, I did that, I did that, I did that. And it's, the point of it for us often is not, I want to know Jesus. There ought to be not just intentionality, but there ought to be intensity. And there ought to be passion about it. And, and we read the scripture because we want to know God. And we pray because we want to have a relationship with God. We want to hear him and speak to him. And we come to worship because we want to know God and to connect with other Christians to help us know God. And we give what we have because we love God and we're appreciative to God. And we serve one another because we want to be people who reflect the nature of Christ. We do all of these things, not just because we're told to, but because we want to. Because we want to get to the end and have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what the foundations are about. I mean, the, the storms that come reveal the kind of foundation we built. Has it been built on rules and lists? Or has it been built on intimacy with Jesus? Has it been built on a passion of our hearts for wanting Jesus? To know him, to be known by him? Or is it simply the rules of the checklist? What's the least I can do? How can I skimp by and still get into heaven? And it's the storms that will reveal that to us. I think the storms are all about the, the ways that the evil one comes at us. All the various ways in which he fights us and, and, and brings difficulties into our lives. Opposition, persecution, pain, struggles. It's in those moments that the foundation is not just tested, but it's revealed. Because here's the thing. How do you know if a foundation is going to hold? We can know in theory. But until the pressure is put on it, you don't really know 100%. And it's in those moments that what we're doing with our spiritual disciplines, the mindset of our hearts, our intimacy with Jesus is revealed. And that's why Jesus says it's the difference between the house standing and the house crumbling. I think one of the things when you talk about who's in and who's out that I think differentiates us is that so often we're, we're, we're thinking about that in a judgmental kind of way. We're looking around at other people and saying, let's see if we can figure out who's in and who's out. We're going to make rules about who's in and who's out. We're going to set up these standards so we can know who's in and who's out because that's really important to us to know who's in and who's out. But the reality of what Jesus is saying here is that's really not our purpose. It's not really what he's looking for from us to be able to judge who's in and who's out. He's saying to us, you just follow me. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus is walking with his disciples along the shore and uh, he has this really intense conversation with Peter and, and it's pretty in your face with Peter and Peter's, you know, trying to handle it and he turns around and looks at John and he says, well, okay, that's me, but what about him? And Jesus says, you don't worry about him, you just worry about yourself. You just follow me. I'll take care of him. And there is a sense that, that that perspective frees us from that judging spirit we talked about last week. It frees us from, from, from having a mindset about, you know, of trying to evaluate people instead of loving people. 
And we let God take care of it because the reality is whether people are in or out, they need, we need to be agents of love and grace to them. If people are not in the kingdom, then we need to be agents of love and grace so that they can see Jesus in us and want to be a part of the kingdom. And if they're in the kingdom, they need to see the love and grace of Jesus in us so they will want more and more of Jesus in their lives and help in their times of need. So really the question isn't how do you know who's in and who's out? The question is are we following Jesus? Which gate are we walking through? Which path are we traveling? What does the foundation of our lives look like? When we think about this, this whole idea of the gate and, and the way and, and the, all of that, it, it makes me think of, the, I think sometimes we think of the gate, as Jesus says, you know, it's narrow, few find it. We sort of think of it as it's, it's for special people. It makes me think of, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, we were graciously given some tickets, a couple tickets to the U.S. Open tennis match in New York City. And it was Andrew and I went, it was an awesome experience. And uh, we, you know, we got there and we went up to the gate and they said, oh no, these, this is not the gate for you. You go through that special gate. Because these were special tickets. We're like, oh, okay, cool. And, and we went up to the gate and I'm thinking to myself, this is the gate that everybody, that I've always all my life gone, I wish I could go through that gate. And I'm looking at all the people around me going, yeah, we're going through this gate. You guys have to go through that gate. We're going through this gate. And, and you walk in and we saw some celebrities in there. And we went into this beautiful suite and we had awesome food. And we had great seats out in the balcony to watch the tennis matches. I mean, it was just awesome experience because we got to go through the special gate. And all those other losers down there didn't get to go through the special gate. You know? And, and, and I think sometimes that's how we view the kingdom. You know, we're special. We get to go through the special gate. You know, not many people find it. We found it. It's too bad you don't get to find it. If you could just measure up like we have, you could find it too. But the reality is the gate is more like those little signs you see at amusement park rides. You know, you have to be this tall to be able to ride this this thing because it's too dangerous. Only it's in reverse. Because the gate of the kingdom says, not how tall can you be, but how small can you be? Not how great are you, how humble are you? How willing are you to be vulnerable and to give of yourself and sacrifice of yourself? How willing are you to stoop like Jesus. That's the, what the gate looks like. It's not a gate of our accomplishments. It's a gate of our surrender and our sacrifice, our love. It's being, it's being what Jesus says, those, only those who, who take on the mindset of a child can enter the kingdom. Why do we do all of this? What's really the underlying motivation? It's who God is. I mean, I'm convinced that, that and I think about this more and more all the time, that we, we are willing to step into this kind of life, go through the narrow gate, walk the narrow road, take the difficult path, sacrifice, engage in the disciplines, because we have got gained a, an image of who God is. The image that Jesus presents in this sermon. Of a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Of a God who is full of grace and mercy. And truth. And compassion. When you get to the end of this, and Matthew says, Jesus, the crowd was astounded because Jesus taught with authority. He didn't teach like all the other people. I don't think it's just he had, he had a presence in his voice when he taught, spoke. I think there's something different about what he says to them about who God is. Because all the other messages they're hearing about God is, you better measure up. You got rules to follow. God is demanding, unrelenting. You'll never do enough. You'll never arrive at the place. And it leads to that kind of, of fear of God that is unhealthy. And Jesus says, let me give you a little different image of God. He 
He's a God who loves you. Loves to do good things for you. He's for you. And this is really what the table's about here. That this, at this table, we're reminded of who God is. This is the God of whom Jesus says he so loved the world. They sent his son. This is the God of whom it's spoken of about Jesus, who, though he had all the power available to him in the universe, he let go of it and humbled himself for us. That's why we walk this road. And what we've come to understand is that, is that there is at the end of the road this freedom and joy and grace and anything we think we may have sacrificed or given up. Actually, we've not really sacrificed. What we've really done is we've come to know who God is. And he set us free from the vicious cycles of our need to promote ourselves and, and, to, and to be secure in ourselves and to, to try to gather things that, that we don't want to lose and, and to live our lives in all of that fear. We've been set free. We've been set free in him. I suspect that everybody at some point in their life has used a funnel. You know, we... It's a great tool for getting something into a small space, putting oil in your car or sometimes in recipes, use it for cooking, variety of things. And I was reading something in Glenn Stossen's book, Living uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He said that he had read somewhere, someone had said, what Jesus is saying here is really a lot like a funnel. And if you turn it sideways, you look at it like this, and, and what for some, Jesus is saying there is one way of entering the funnel and you enter through the narrow part and it's hard and it feels confining and it feels difficult, but there is this great open freedom when you get to the end of it. Or you can enter through the wide end and everything feels like you've got freedom and everything feels like I do get to do what I want and, and life is awesome and all of that, but eventually... Eventually, it becomes constricted, and there is destruction. And the question for us is, which end are we entering? And the real question is, where do we want to be when we get to the other end? Our God who loves us, who cares for us, is inviting us to genuine freedom. By knowing him, surrendering to him, embracing the kingdom. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us in Christ. Help us to see that and to embrace you and your way. Father, we pray your abundant blessing upon the bread and the cup. May they be food to our souls. May they inspire us to see your great love for us and that in turn, we may love you and in our love for you, love each other. As we embrace message of the kingdom. We pray this, Father, through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. If... Um,
you come to the front, it's difficult for you. If you simply prefer, we have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to know Him and to be known by Him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. alone somehow I stand where sin once made me fear to tread invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above he pulls me close with nails card Condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is
please stand with us? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written. On his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt we grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.